if you were to win a trip to Italy in a heartbeat, if you were to win a trip to Italy, and if Italy isn't your thing, fill in it in your mind with something else, a better destination. But if you were to win a trip, some of you would immediately start planning and preparing. You would be online researching. You would have an itinerary. You would know that exactly on Thursday, March 16th, you're going to be outside the Colosseum at nine o'clock in the morning. Now, others of you winning that trip from Italy would be so excited and, and you'd have plane tickets and you'd have, a, you'd have a rough idea and you'd know, yeah, I'm gonna, we're gonna go to this town, I think on Thursday, but you would let the trip unfold. Now, there's a good chance if you're married, <laughs> right, each of you is represented in the marriage. We often talk about personalities in terms of, well, there's type A personalities, go get them, and then there's type B personalities that are kind of laid back. Sometimes we say, well, there's planners, and then there's free spirits. But let me ask you a question. Is it okay, is it okay to be inflexible about everything? Is it okay to be inflexible about everything? I want to tell you about some people in my past. When I first became an executive pastor, the very first bookkeeper I had was a lady I will call uh, Sharon. Sharon is exactly the kind of person that you need as a bookkeeper. She knew the rules. She knew the laws. If she calculated something, I never needed to question Sharon's calculations. Why? Because they were always right down to the last decimal point. She got it right. Now, if there was a rule to follow, Sharon would follow the rules. After all, rules are there for our safety. <laughs> okay, so... What was going on is that people, uh, the church had gotten big enough that people were going out to stores and buying things on their own credit cards and from their own checking accounts for ministry events like a women's event here, a men's retreat there, a Sunday school class this, and they would go into Sharon and they would turn in their receipts. And we had a procedure for how that worked and Sharon would dutifully write them a check back minus the sales tax. Now, if you had spent $200, it's only $12 in sales tax, it's no big deal, but I started to have people coming to me with their shorts in a bunch because the check they got from Sharon was not what they laid out. And so I thought, no problem, I've got this solved, this will be easy. I'll just call Sharon into my office and we'll talk about it and I'll tell her she needs to reimburse the sales tax and problem solved, right? Wrong. I call Sharon in and I remember her standing at the back with her arms crossed just like this and a scowl on her face. And I laid out the situation and I laid out how people were angry and we couldn't have this in the church and this was really, really important. And Max, churches do not pay sales tax. We are exempt from paying. There are forms and procedures. If they had just come to me ahead of time, I could have arranged. And, and I was like, oh, okay. So I realized I had to, so I had to go through this long process. It took me 60 days. I had to have the church's treasure and leadership change the policy of the church so that 
you could have path A where you went through Sharon and got the sales tax exemption, or if the time was critical, et cetera, you could go path B and the church would on good faith reimburse you the sales tax, right? Sharon was inflexible, right? I had another person about the same time, Dwayne. Dwayne became the director of children's ministries. And Dwayne took a team of 13 people and grew it to three. <laughs> Two of whom were he and his wife. And the reason that he grew it that big is that his leadership paradigm was, it's my way or the highway. And one of the first things he did when he came in is he said, oh, this curriculum that you're using that you all love, it's wrong, it's theologically wrong. I'm gonna go to hell teaching that. We're gonna do a curriculum that's right. We wanna have the right curriculum, not the wrong curriculum. And so, of course, all the teachers and volunteers were like, ah, I like the old, ah. And so, one by one, <laughs> they quit. Why? Because Dwayne was inflexible. Had another thing came up about a year, two years later we had a women's Bible study and the women's Bible study met at Tuesday mornings at eight o'clock in the morning. So Tuesday, eight o'clock in the morning. Say that with me, Tuesday, eight o'clock in the morning. I started having uh, younger women mention things, how they felt disconnected with their moms and because they lived so far away and how they would love to have an older woman kind of help guide them and speak into their life. And I was like, oh, this is great because the women's Bible study was mostly older women. So I, I went to those women. I was like, hey, guess what? There's all these young women in the church and they would love to be mentored. And they would love to have a mentoring relationship with those of you that are wiser and have been walking down the road. And they got excited. There were three of them in this kind of meeting powwow about what to do about it. And they were like, Max, that's great. We want to mentor younger women. I was like, wonderful. I was like, oh, this is great when the church comes together and we're all working together. And it was, and before those thoughts could take me to heaven and Jesus, one of them spoke up and guess who it was? Sharon. <laughs> and Sharon said, you know what, Max? You need to tell those women to come when? Eight o'clock Tuesday morning, we would be happy to mentor them. They just need to come at Tuesday at eight o'clock in the morning. Ding. Ah. And what was the problem with the ladies' Bible study? They were inflexible. They were inflexible, okay? It's easy to write off flexibility as a thing that's just tied to your personality. And you're either a flexible person or you're not. But the Bible has way too much to say about the dangers of inflexibility and especially inflexibility about the wrong things. Isn't it one of the problems that the Pharisees had? Inflexibility. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, you're doing the Sabbath wrong. We don't heal people on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, we don't do work. You're doing it wrong. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, we're supposed to be clean. You're unclean. You're going into the tax collector and sinner homes. Unclean, unclean. Jesus, you're doing it wrong. And isn't that one of the reasons why the Pharisees simply couldn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah because the Messiah would do it right. <laughs> the Messiah would get it right all the ways that they do it because the way they do it is the right way. <laughs> and surprise, I like to call it Vizzini thinking. If you've ever seen The Princess Bride, 
the brains of the operation is this man named Vicini. And so Vicini thinking is, you know, clearly we know the Messiah would, you know, <laughs> not eat in the homes of tax collectors. And clearly we know the Messiah would not heal on the Sabbath. Therefore, <laughs> right? It's Vicini thinking. Vicini thinking is bad, okay? So isn't this also one of the problems that churches have? Inflexibility. At our church, at First Church, we're committed to historic worship, right? Or at Grunge Church, the lights are always dark and the bass thumps in your heart two days later, you know, <laughs> right? And it, there ain't no other way to worship the Lord God Jehovah. Or um, uh, at our church, we do expository preaching in a Scottish accent. Or in our church... We do thematic themes and everybody's happy. Like, you know, you can fight over the weirdest things. I don't know if you know this, but one of our church's values is actually be flexible. Say that with me. Be, be flexible. Be flexible. Be flexible. I love the way one of the early folks that helped us get off our feet said, said it all the time. He would say, Max, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be broken. Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken, okay? Now, you don't have to take my word for it. You can let the Apostle Paul tell you about it. And so I want to teach from 1 Corinthians 19 today and let Paul speak to us about flexibility. Um, I'm in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, and I'm going to start in verse 13. Verse 13, don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals and offerings brought to the temple and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the gospel should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet, I've never used any of these rights. I'm not writing to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I'd rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet, preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I'm compelled by Christ to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. So, in a sense, Paul is saying, man, you Corinthians hold on to your rights like it's the biggest thing in the world. I mean, I've got rights too. I've got a right to basically have you support me. Am I exercising my right? No, I'm not doing that at all. In fact, I'm doing what I do free of charge. Uh, and so it isn't about getting you to support me financially, and it isn't about all the strings that come with money. Uh, and so what he's saying is, um, uh, I'm flexible, I adapt to the situation. Um, part of what's going on behind the scenes is uh, this idea of patronage and patron in the Roman world. And so Corinthian families that gave money would enter into a relationship with the person that they gave money to. And of course, the way that works in the mob is, you owe me. Hey, Paul, I need a favor. Huh? Okay, so, so what the apostle Paul is saying is he didn't want there to be any misconception that he owed somebody or was at the beck and call of somebody just because they were financially supporting him. Okay, and so he goes on and he talks about some other things. Uh, that's verse 17 and following. If I were to do this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment, but I have no choice for God has given me the sacred trust. 
What then is my pay? It's the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone. That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. In Paul's way of thinking, the church family is an oikonomos. It's an, it's an oikos. It's a household. In a sense, Paul is saying the household is Jesus, and I kind of help manage this household of God. And I have a right to take money. I have a right to be paid for what I'm doing, but really, that's not what I'm exercising. My reward is something that comes later. Um, it's preaching the gospel to everyone. And the kicker is in verse 19 and following. This is where he kind of really brings it into focus. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with the Jewish Gentiles who don't follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring them to Christ. I don't ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Yet when I'm, uh, when I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. And I do it to spread the good news and share in its blessings. So here he's kind of laser focusing and he's saying, you shouldn't, you Corinthians shouldn't be obsessed about your rights, your right to this, your right to that. You should imitate me. And when I'm with Jews, I'm like a what? Jew. And when I'm with people who aren't Jewish, I'm kind of like somebody who isn't Jewish. I'm flexible about the things that don't matter, the things that aren't essential, the things that aren't critical to the gospel. Uh, and he uses a couple of different words in the Greek, animos and animos. They sound the same, don't they? Animos and animos. Animos is under the law. Animos is no law. And he's saying, I don't do what is animos, no law. In other words, I don't violate my conscience, and I'm not saying the end justifies my means. I'm saying I set aside my rights and privileges to win others. And so in this way, Paul doesn't violate the gospel. He doesn't violate the teachings of Jesus Christ. He's not saying, oh, well, if you're a murderer, I become a murderer too. Like that's not in the Bible. Just want to clarify in case someone's thinking, okay? So no, he's saying to win the poor, I'm willing to live like a poor person. To win those who have less freedom than I have, I'm willing to give up some of my freedoms. And so this is huge. He's willing to set aside his rights He's willing to set aside his privileges to win people to Jesus Christ. Come on, isn't this one of the biggest problems the church has in America is we've become married to forms and ways of doing things and we want people to adhere to the forms and salute the doctrines and everything else and then we will say, oh, you're in with Jesus now because you did all the right things and you believe all the right things and and you've, you know, you've got our list checked off all the way down. There was a guy named Father Damien, and he lived around uh, 1870, late 1870s, 1880s, and he went to Kalalupa, which is part of Hawaii, to a leper colony. And you know what he said? It was a leper colony of about 800 lepers. 
And at the time, no one would go and no one would do this because they were all afraid that leprosy was contagious. That was the belief at the time is you could catch leprosy from someone else. And so he said in his writings, I make myself a leper with the lepers to gain all to Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying the same thing that Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. Paul was flexible. He knew that forms change, methods change, but the content and the message of the gospel itself doesn't change. And we see it in how he approached uh, cities that had a synagogue versus what he did in Athens and how he approached the people in Athens. Uh, And so he kind of wraps it up in verses 24 and following. He says this, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I, I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what others should do. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might be disqualified. Athletes give up all kinds of stuff to compete and win. If you've ever known someone who was training for the Olympics, you know exactly what I mean because they have no life. (laughs) Everything they do is in preparation for that race and that competition. What they eat, how they train, how they spend their day, day after day after day. And you and I do the same thing. We give up rights and preferences to win other people to Jesus Christ. So in light of this, let me ask some questions. And the first question is, when it comes to stuff, when it comes to decisions, when it comes to things in your life, do you always give your opinion? Is that the first thing? Well, what I think, well, what I like, what I see, (laughs) or do you listen to other people? What's your default setting on your radio station, the radio station of you? When someone else suggests a better way to do something, do you try it? Or do you keep doing it the way you've always done it? And here's a hard one. When plans change, do you easily get frustrated or discouraged? When plans change, is that like, oh, the sky is falling, okay. So what does this look like? What does this look like? So in your home, so taking it home, so to speak, for those of you that are in high school, sometimes when things change and now the plans involve your younger brother or sister, you could, you could what? You could be flexible, <laughs> okay? Um, you could embrace family merge emergencies as a way to build character. The younger version of me absolutely hated family emergencies. When Jenny would call, hey, I need you to, I need you to do this with the kids. Hey, so-and-so is six or sick. Any number of things. I, it was like, oh, God, why are you persecuting me, right? No. Family emergencies are almost always a way for God to build character in us. I'm just telling you, I learned this the hard way, the really hard way, and so I just want you to learn it the easy way because I like you, okay? So embrace, you could be flexible by remembering family emergencies are a way to build character. If you're a parent, you might want to really think through what are the things you're flexible about with your kids and what are the things that you're going to be inflexible about. And so let me give a couple examples. With our kids and their hair and clothing, we've given them great latitude. When it comes to tattoos, our thing is, you can put as much on your body as you want as soon as you graduate from high school. No harm, no foul, right? And so some of you are already freaking out. What? 
And some of you are like, well, why didn't you do that when they were 13, man? Like, okay, so, so, but where we've been inflexible are things about character, are things about values. So with our kids, we've been insistent that, hey, sex is really awesome, but it really belongs in marriage. <laughs> That's its proper context and place, right? So you're gonna have to figure that out as parents, but I've known way too many parents that were inflexible about how their kids dressed or appeared or whatnot, and what happened over time is that the doorway to the kids' hearts became closed to them because they were inflexible, right? Um, at school, for those of you that are still enduring college and high school and middle school, first of all, I'm sorry and thank you, okay? But secondly, you could help out a classmate who isn't getting it. When you're on a group project, dear Jesus, help them. When you're on a group project, dear Jesus, help them. When you're on a group project, you could actually listen to the advice of the other people in the group. I know they're terrible ideas, okay? I know that they're just not as sharp and capable as you, but you could listen to the other people's ideas and opinions. At church, how does this play out at church? We could be open to changes in programming or even the worship service. We can make room for families that are in crisis because families that are in crisis are often messy and it messes up our schedule in life and that's how it works. Um, we could be willing to change or modify plans or activities so that we don't offend brothers or sisters that would get easily offended by it, right? Um, one of the things I've done my whole life is I don't drink alcohol. I'm totally free to drink alcohol. I can do it anytime I want. The scripture does not prohibit me from doing so. But I do it because I'm a pastor and I never know when I'm gonna encounter someone whose dad or, or, or mom was an alcoholic. And for them, it's a huge barrier, right? So I give up something I'm totally free to do for folks that may not be as far along in their walk of faith. Does that make sense? Okay, uh, I got to, and we're gonna be tested. Now that we're in a new place that's ours, and not some bunch, not a dying golf course, we're gonna be tempted on this right here. This is why I'm teaching on this today. Last Sunday night, our youth group was gathered in the library, and we have pizza on Sunday night, and one of the youth was playing catch with their slice of pizza. Up in the air, down, take a bite. Up in the air, down, take a bite. Up in the air, down, take a bite. Up in the air, down the wall of the lobby. <laughs> in that moment, in that moment, Mad Max wanted to come out. Because you know who painted that wall? I painted that wall. And there's pizza coming down the wall. And I could feel it percolating up. And so I had to, get up out of my seat and stretch, <laughs> right? And not do anything. Why? Because I could have, young, blah, 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 blah. I could have given them a lecture. I could have done all kinds of things, but students are more important than walls. And I don't want to break a spirit over something as silly as a slice of pizza. That's why, for example, no matter, look around. This is nice. We've made it nice. You are never going to see on the doors of these uh, you're never gonna see a sign on these doors that says, no food or drink in the sanctuary. You wanna know why? Because as soon as those signs go up, flexibility goes out the door. 
And it's often done in the name of keeping something nice. We want to be good stewards of what we have. We want to keep it nice, and I understand that. But often what happens is inflexibility sets in, okay? Uh, so there are ways that you guys have modeled flexibility. Some of you who have some miles under your belt will wait and not come in until the singing's done. Why? Because it's too loud. And rather than one by one go to the soundboard and say, it's too loud. Can you turn it down? Like you wait because you know that some people actually do want to have the bass thumping in their heart two days later, right? <laughs> and so I've heard you verbalize, I'm okay to hang out there and come in at the end because I don't want to make it harder for younger people, right? That's flexibility in action. Um, it's why, for example, our congregation has a statement of faith. You can find it on the website. When you become a partner, you get one. And that's the stuff that we say is essential. And for all the other doctrines and beliefs, you can believe whatever you want to believe. And since we're all Protestants, you can actually argue and make a case out of the Bible for it and tell me us why we're wrong and blah, blah, blah. But in all of that, we ask for uh, one thing, and that's the word, the word that appears on the website and with the doctrine of state. You have liberty, but you need to express it with charity charity toward one another in other words you're charitable about the way that you don't agree on things so uh, a practical way this is going to play out for us in this space is that nothing here is set in stone permanent so not even my office right any of these spaces could change and could get used for something different and as soon as we start to own well that's a, you know blah and you can't right all of a sudden now we're becoming what inflexible right and we want to be flexible um, so as we kind of get ready to welcome some new people and get used to having a space of our own I just wanted to remind you and remind myself that we made a commitment as a congregation to be flexible and I want that to express itself in how we use and sometimes abuse this building right okay be flexible